Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of Booty and Barbeau on Believe Podcast. He's Josh Booty. I'm Rachel Barbeau. And it is the day that we have dreamed of, the day we've waited for uh, in our young podcast lives. And that's the day we get to bring in a guest. And he goes by on Twitter, LSU Tweet Beat. He is Glenn Gilbo. He covers the LSU Tigers for USA Today, a friend of both Josh and I. And uh, Glenn, we were just talking about before we started the show by going back and uh, and covering a national championship, I believe it was, or I'm not sure exactly if it was that or if it was the Sugar Bowl back in the day, but we were in New Orleans and the Sugar Bowl treated us right. There you was a yeah. You two in New Orleans, I'm already. <laughs> they well, they took us to uh, the opening. Yeah, yeah, it's funny we can't we can't remember the details. <laughs> well, that that's kind of a New Orleans thing, you know. That's we right. go to an opening of a restaurant, was- we go to a party <laughs> at a at a Metropolitan uh, Museum of Art. We there was a second line. We ended at a place uh, that was supposed to be highly haunted, and I remember something about smoking cigars. Oh yeah, uh, and and I oh, remember yeah. my oh yeah. And you guys looked at me like, are you really smoking a cigar right here walking down Bourbon Street? And that absolutely happened, Glenn Gilbo. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, we were at a blues bar. Yeah, Chris Lowe and I and you and one of your girlfriends. Uh, yep. And uh, maybe some other reporters. And uh, it was a crazy night, Josh. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> who was playing the game that weekend i love it <laughs> no memory of the game whatsoever who was playing what bowl it was but we were out in the quarter yeah that's important that is important <laughs> it should have been the bayou classic <laughs> yeah. that, that is true it could have been uh Go ahead, Glenn. I was just, uh, I was just, you know, fired up to have you on the podcast. Of course, Glenn, I've, I've known you since the late '90s or mid '90s, and of course, you covered us for many, many years, and you covered LSU for many, many years. But let's get right to the LSU side of things in football. I mean, tell me, how excited are you? Because you've covered the team for so many years, and this with this offensive team. I mean, how fun is it to watch? I mean, you're down there in Louisiana week in, week out covering these boys, but how fun is it? To, is this the funnest LSU offensive team you've ever seen? Well, I can tell you, back in the day covering LSU football, like uh, just a couple of seasons ago, you could take uh, breaks during the game. You know, you can go watch another game. You can go to the bathroom. You can go visit with your buddies or whatever. <laughs> Go try to find the athletic director. You know, if, if you leave your your seat, you're going to miss a touchdown from Mr. Burrow. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's amazing. I mean, they've had good passing offenses in the past. Uh, you, you were all SEC quarterback in 2000. Rohan Davey had a record year in 01. Demarcus Russell put up good numbers. So did Flynn. So did Mettenberger as recently as 2013. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the consistency of the high numbers. I mean, LSU's leading the nation in scoring. I don't know if that's ever mm. happened. Uh, Burrow is number two in uh, in passing efficiency. They've had they've had guys up that high uh, before, but uh, not with the numbers Joe's putting up. You know, and uh, it's it's just really amazing to watch. And the, and the no huddle obviously is very different, mm-hmm. and they and they score very quick. 
And it's uh, it's funny because it, it's like, be careful what you wish for, because mm-hmm. suddenly the LSU fans are like, well, wait, wait, you're scoring too fast for our defense. <laughs> and Coach goes like, hey, I'm not changing the offense. You know, they got to yeah, catch up yeah. with <laughs> Glenn, I've been telling Josh, I find one aspect of this football team absolutely fascinating. I mean, you can go from everything from from Joe Brady to Joe Burrow. You can, you know, there's so many different facets that the tools and the weapons that he has, the defense, as you mentioned, some of the stats. But one of the things I find most fascinating is the maturation of Ed Ogeron uh, going from and I, I talk about it almost every podcast just last year. And you and I, I'm sure, I know I discussed it with him at SEC Media Days, but just the idea and the outside talk and the chatter that he heard about, oh, he's going to be the first one fired and LSU is going to be this and that. And they really fed off of those, you know, those people and, and their chatter and the talk and the headlines and the clickbait. And and they proved a lot of people wrong last season. It, it's really neat to kind of see Ed Ogeron get another chance and to come into his, his own and really settle into this role. Talk to our listeners and, and to us about the maturation of Ed Ogeron. Oh, no question. Uh, you know, and, and full disclosure, the day he was hired, I wrote a column that said this was a major mistake uh, by LSU. Um, you know, I wrote that they shouldn't mm-hmm. gone after Jimbo Fisher. And that was a, and that that was a major major mistake. So, you know, I, I'm definitely looking wrong <laughs> right now, big time, <laughs> because uh, I think the most significant thing Coach O has done is uh, is what he's done with uh, the offense as far as hiring Bill Brady, uh, the passing game coordinator, um, who was a really a lowly assistant with the Saints and not very experienced. He's only 29. So Coach O took a major mm-hmm. risk doing that. You know, uh, you know, Coach Saban took a risk hiring Lane Kiffin because he was damaged goods, but he was much more experienced. This is even more of a risk, I think, yeah. with uh, with Joe Brady. And it's, it's really working. Now, it helps that they got a good quarterback who was really starting to really play well late last season under Steve Ensminger. But uh, and, you know, Coach O had some bumps in the road. He hired Matt Canada uh, in, in his first season. And, and uh, you know, that that didn't work out. And, and Coach O's probably partly to blame for that because he kind of didn't let him uh, do what he was hired to do. But he's made up for that with with this bringing back in Sminger, who he, who he admits he probably should have hired in the first place as offensive coordinator. And then, you know, we all knew Coach O could recruit. No one disputed that. but. He's really recruited a lot better than I think even his his most uh, ardent uh, fans mm-hmm. thought he would. He had a um, had a number uh, three class last year, and he's got a number two class right now. That'll be the best two back to back classes LSU's had since Saban had a one in O three and a uh, and a and a number two and oh four and that and those classes is what won the championship in 07 so and and coach o is not dependent on the state being good for him to have a good recruiting class mm-hmm. he's all over he's in california utah he's in the washington dc mm-hmm. area so he's really just hit all the bases and and the defense is is lacking a little bit this season but for the most part it's been good very good under him so 
he's, you know, he's pushing all the right buttons right now. And it's, it's just really coming through. This offense is just really unbelievable. Yeah. The, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head from a recruiting perspective and, you know, coach Orgeron has been known to recruit well for years and many, many years and been, you know, maybe the top recruiter in college football at different times in his career at Miami and of course USC. And that's where I got to know him a little bit, but, you know, it's like personnel plays such a big role in college football. And then when you are able to use the personnel the right way, the thing can take off. And that's what we're seeing with Joe Brady. That's what you mentioned. It's, you know, both leading the country in completion pretends you've got, you know, five top 25 teams left on the schedule. Do you think, uh, in your opinion, can, can Burrow continue to, you know, not only do as well as he is, but lead, you know, lead the nation in completion percentage and do some of those things with some of these really top tier SEC teams coming down the pipe the rest of the season, because it's going to get a lot tougher. Can they continue to do this type of thing? Do you think? Well, you know, I think LA, they, they have not played a good defense all season. That's that's true. But in the past, LSU has played bad defenses and not put up numbers like this. So I, I think he's still going to be very, very uh, good and impactful on the defenses they play. I mean, he might LSU might not be leading in scoring in the, the nation in scoring in about a month from now, but they're still going to be up there. I, I think they're going to be up there all year because this looks like a really – an offense that has to be reckoned with. And Alabama's defense is is not what it, it was. They've got some injuries. They're like in the 30s in total defense right now, mm-hmm. which is rare. Uh, but but Florida and Auburn, which are coming up, uh, Florida, they play Florida week from Saturday, then at Mississippi State, and then, then Auburn. Those two teams are very good, and they're very good on defense, Florida and Auburn. So those will be major tests for LSU, but they're at home. But for the first time in a while, Florida and Auburn are looking at LSU's offense as a major test. <laughs> you know, that, that's usually not the Defense is looking at LSU's offense and saying, wow, look at that. And and, uh, and that's what's happening right now. So, yeah, I, I, think, uh, <laughs> I think if the defense gets better, LSU can, can get to the playoffs this year. Uh, I'm not concerned with the offense. I, I think they're going to – they're – they have a national championship type offense. It's if the defense can can catch up, and if it's L and if LSU can cannot revert to past way at Alabama and, and play well there. I do think I will make this prediction: they will score at Alabama, which they haven't done in the last three games. <laughs> I'm on the line right now. They will score a touchdown in Tuscaloosa this week. I mean, it's inevitable. And Josh and I, we were laughing last week. I was like, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to talk LSU and Alabama, but we gave in. We're human. (laughs) If they were to play this weekend, Glenn, talk to me about how you feel that matchup might go besides the, besides a touchdown by LSU. (laughs) Well, you know, in the, in the past, I've always thought that, that Alabama was able to get itself ready uh, for LSU because the game is so late. And I think, one coach benefits more than any other coach from an open week, and that's that's Coach Saban because I think he's the best uh, um, strategy coach that there is. I think he's the best film coach, you know. So he's he's going to have an advantage during an open week, and and 
if I was in charge of LSU, I would get rid of that open wing uh, for that game. <laughs> I think any team has a better chance when LSU, when Alabama does not have an open week going into their game. Um, but uh, I would say if the defense was playing like it usually does at LSU, which is a little better than right now, I would say they need to play Alabama like Saturday. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's uh, I think they would be better off against Alabama if they played them a couple of weeks earlier than they are. Mm. But, you know, um, Alabama, uh, you know, they'll have a chance of maybe getting healthier on on defense, but they they they're not ready. They they they're not used to the offense they're going to see from LSU. I guarantee you. So I think that's going to be a great game in November. Yeah, I think you know it's a totally totally different offense, and we're bringing to the table one thing that I wanted to mention, and maybe a last question for you on this show today, but. You know, everybody talks about Burrow and the wide receivers. And, of course, we've got amazing, amazing players in those positions. But, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he makes this offense go in many ways. He's great in pass protection. He's great catching the ball in the backfield. He, he reminds me a lot of, I watch the Patriots, but James White. He can do a lot of the you know. And, and I like what he, how he complements this type of style of offense. And, you know, have, do you have any feelings on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and really how valuable he is to this offense? Because he doesn't get talked about near as much as Burrow and the receivers at this point. Yeah, I think it's the nature of fans, too. When, when they have a good recruiting class, they, they want to see those recruits play. It's like a fantasy football thing almost. You draft your fantasy player. And, and LSU signed two great backs in Tyree and Davis Price and, and John Emery, and everybody wanted to see, wants to see them play. And they're not playing because Clyde Edwards is, is better than them right now. It, Clyde reminds me of Joe Adai. Everybody wanted to replace Joe Adai with LSU when they signed Justin Vincent and Allie Broussard. But, but Nick kept keeping Adai in there because Adai could block against for blitz protection. And that's why Clyde's in there, too, in addition – to him running very well and, and being a good receiver out of the backfield. So I think you're going to con- continue to see a lot of Clyde. He's having, he's having a very good season. I know John Robinson, who's a consultant at LSU, who coached Charles White, Mark Allen, and Eric Dickerson. Uh, he says Clyde is the guy, you know. So, so yeah, Clyde's having a heck of a season. And, and you know, it, everybody's talking about Joe Brady and, Joe Burrow, but, but yeah, the receivers have been very good for LSU this year. Jamar Chase, Terrence Marshall Jr. from Parkway High and in, in, in Bozier, and, and um, Justin Jefferson. And, uh, you know, the tight ends have played well. Thaddeus Moss, Stephon Sullivan. So everything's clicking right now. Last thing for me, Glenn, what is maybe your biggest surprise outside of LSU in, in conference? Josh and I spent last week talking about uh, Gus Malzahn, and I, I put a tweet out there. Inevitably, I went to Auburn, so inevitably I put this tweet out there, and there's a little bit of fan in me, but more just uh, just this is my observation. And I said before the season, listen, this is going to go horribly wrong for Gus Malzahn 
and he's going to be shown the door. It's going to go horribly well. And I lean towards or horribly well, really well. And I lean towards really well because of the fact that, listen, he is a play caller. And I, I feel like he's a better offensive corner and play caller than than getting sometimes down in the weeds of, of being a head coach. And and his back was against the wall. People doubted him. Now, what Alabama fans will say and what detractors will say is, oh, well, who have they played? Well, you know, it's, uh, Oregon, no slouch. Mississippi State wasn't supposed to be a slouch. Your thoughts on Gus Malzahn and Auburn as it looms for LSU and then maybe your biggest surprise in the conference before we let you go. Well, I think Gus, he needs to call the plays and, and run the offense. He's always like doing that and then not doing it and doing yep. it. You know, it seems like he can't make up his mind. But I heard him say um, after the A&M game uh, that, uh, you know, that's what he loves doing. Yep. So he's, he's got to stick with that. I mean, Sean Payton still calls the plays for the same thing. He tried to get out of it once or twice to be the head coach. But, you know, you got to do what you're what – you're, good at and especially if you're better at it than anyone on your staff and I think that's been the been the case and uh you know Auburn blew away Mississippi State yep. which is not a bad team and they really blew away Texas A&M that score didn't uh, represent what how really they blew them out so th- that Auburn has looked very good to me and uh Pat Nix's son uh Bo Nix you know I remember when Pat Nix went to Florida and upset the number one Gators back in 94. And now uh, Bo is running things. He threw for 300 yards last week. They got a very good running game, and they got a good defense. So Auburn's a team to be reckoned with right now, and that's going to be a tough game for LSU. Surprises in the conference, outside of the conference, across the landscape of college football, Glenn? Um, I would say um, – I would say Auburn is is probably uh, a surprise because, you know, it seems like Doug Malzahn is, is on the hot seat all the time. <laughs> I mean, he's been on the hot seat so much, it's, it's it maybe finally getting cold a little bit. But uh, I, I think he, he might be the surprise team with the way they went into Texas A&M and won that game uh, and, and uh, blew out Mississippi State. And, and uh, you know, they, they have other quality wins. So I would I would say they're probably the surprise team. I mean, Georgia was supposed to be good. Alabama was supposed to be good. LSU actually was was supposed to be good. So, yeah, I would give that to Auburn. Glenn, you can follow him, LSU Tweetbeat, on, uh, on Twitter, and he writes for USA Today. Glenn Gilbo. Glenn, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. All right. Enjoyed it, Rachel and thanks, Josh. Good talking to y'all. Yes. We – we need a reunion in New Orleans. Yeah, maybe we'll remember it better. All right, buddy. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Glenn. I need to join y'all for that reunion next time. Y'all, y'all won't remember less uh, than what you did before. <laughs> Listen, this is what I remember of of that uh, of of that. I I know I remember saying I know it was after 2009 because I remember going to 
the Rose Bowl. And you kind of think about as a media member how these how these uh, these bowls treat you. And I remember the Rose Bowl, they had a lot of different events and whatnot. But I remember the Rose Bowl, they had these um, they had these vans and they would take you anywhere. And I'm not kidding you, Josh. This is what happened. I I said, listen, I, I really I've never been to California at this point. It was my mm-hmm. first time to California. Uh, I was there covering Alabama. And I said, I want to go for a run on the beach and then I want to eat at a restaurant on the beach. And so they call ahead these these beautiful concierge people at the Rose Bowl. They call ahead to this restaurant on the beach. They agree to hold my stuff. I go for a run on the beach. I feel like Farrah Fair, Fawcett, you know, with brown hair and dark skin. And uh, and then I come back and I eat on the beach. And then the van picks me back up, drops me in a couple of places to shop waits outside and then takes you back to the hotel. I'm like, man, I feel like a celebrity here. I'm like, what, what, what's going on, Josh? They even stopped the interstate for, for us reporters to get to the actual Rose Bowl. So that in itself was amazing. And then even though I don't remember what game it was, we're in New Orleans. My girlfriend is uh, is with me. She's my plus one. And then the Sugar Bowl throws one hell of a party. And I'm telling you, we started at a restaurant, some restaurant with a famous chef where they were opening the restaurant. There was a red carpet. Then we get on the bus and then we go to a museum with a private party. Then we have a second line and we end up at some haunted joint down in the quarter. Uh, and, and like you said, the end of the night was smoking cigars with, uh, with Chris Lowe and, and Glenn Gilbo. That is awesome. You know, Glenn has covered LSU for such a long time. I'm sure he's, he's been down there to the sugar bowl, probably 40 years in a row. You know I mean? This guy is a legend when it comes to, LSU football, and I know he knows Louisiana better than anybody, so I'm sure you guys had a blast. Uh, you mentioned the Rose Bowl, and, and I've been to some of the you know, the biggest games, I guess, in the last 10 or 15, 20 years when it comes to Rose Bowl games. And, of course, mm-hmm. the USC-Texas Vince Young matchup with Reggie and Leinert and those, those guys at SC. And um, there's no venue better than the Rose Bowl because of the weather and where it's at and, and you know, San Gabriel Mountains and – and Pasadena, it's just always the most beautiful. Now it's tough getting in and out of there. And and that's why sometimes I enjoy New Orleans so much better because once the game's over, you can walk around and enjoy the city and Pasadena. It's an all all day, all night affair just to get up there and back to where uh you usually are staying. But man, both are both, you know, and you've enjoyed both of them as well. But you know, both of them are so amazing. I, I'm just I'm just uh of course pumped for Pumped to see who's going to make the playoffs this year. Glenn seems to really think that LSU's got a, a, a fighting chance. And, of course, I, I think the same thing. I think if our defense can shore up, you know, we can play in one of these, you know, playoff games and maybe get to where we're supposed to get to. But I, I think the defense is the key. I'm not worried about the offense. And this is really the first time that I could have ever said that. Okay, so you want to unveil today your Elite Eight as we <laughs> march down to the college football playoff, which I'm so excited. I'll get a chance to be their influencer and insider again this year. I'll be interviewing Rob Mullins each week after they make their announcements with the committee. Uh, so it'll be really, really amazing. Been uh, associated with them for five years. But let's talk about your Elite Eight uh, as we march towards the playoff, John. Yeah, yeah, I'll go down the list, and I appreciate you letting me share these uh, these teams with you. But just my gut feeling after five weeks of the regular season, 
Uh, I wanted to unveil my elite eight and I'll go with number, uh, I'll go with number eight Auburn and I'll work up from there. Okay. I think your Malzahn is through five weeks coach of the year uh, nationally. I think Wisconsin might be the only other team that is, has surprised almost as much as Auburn. So uh, they've been spectacular with the freshman quarterback and the defense looks like the best in the SEC West. So I'll go with Auburn rate. I like number seven, Notre Dame. And I think Notre Dame is well-rounded and better than we all thought they were going to be. The tight end, Cole Clement, is a quarterback's dream. I, I really like, uh, you know, Ian Book has played in a lot of football games. I think they got two great defensive ends. And, of course, watched that game at Georgia Live. And and they were, you know, they could have gone down and won that game on the last possession. you got to give them a nod at being in the top eight. Number six, Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley are insane. I, I, I think, you know, their question is, can the defense stop a good team or a great team, you know, a, a big-time team in a playoff-type atmosphere, but they can score with anybody. They remind me a lot of LSU. Uh, number five, Clemson. Uh, and, that, and, and I've got them going down, of course, like a lot of people this week uh, in, the, in the top, my top eight because, uh, you know, their game on the road in North Carolina, they survived that. But uh, they're cutting games a little too close for comfort. And, and uh, you know, I think Trevor Lawrence doesn't – he's not playing like Superman like he did last year. So he mm-hmm. needs to take off the Clark Kent three-piece suit and, and start <laughs> playing ball. I mean, I think that's – I think he just needs to start playing ball and not worry about, you know, how he looks or, or uh, you know, what people are saying or, you know, is he in the Heisman race because – you know, he was he was all that and, and more before the year. So I think he just needs to get a little bit more comfortable with himself. I think they'll be fine. Uh, number four, Georgia. You know, that win versus Notre Dame is a big-time quality win, but they need to get better in the pass game. They have the best, best O-line in the country in America and, and maybe better on D than Bama and LSU, but not on offense right now. So they need to get a little bit better on offense. I think Fromm gives them that chance. Um Number three, LSU. Uh, Burrow's performing at a Heisman level, and Brady has done, you know, maybe the best job being an assistant to an assistant, you know, in transformation on one side of the ball, maybe ever in college football, to be honest with you. We're, we're averaging 58 points a game. That's no joke. Wow. You know, LSU at number three. I think number two, Ohio State. Uh, maybe the most well-rounded team in, in America after watching the first five weeks. And, I think they've got a better defense than about anybody that I've mentioned in the top eight. And Chase Young is the best defensive player in America. Their defensive end, who'll be a top, you know, top three pick, and just an absolute animal. Reminds me of you know Jadavion Clowney or Miles Garrett. He's that type of player. And number one, you know, Alabama. They sit there at the top again. Uh, best coach, best quarterback, best athletes, best recruits in the country, and. And I think they've got the best wide receiver group. I think LSU and Clemson are, are, are two and three. But I think if you look at what their production has been on offense at that wide receiver position, they're dynamite. I'm talking about three or four guys that can, you know, can play in the NFL right now. So I, I'd have to go with Bama and two in the experience at, at my number one rate. I can't let you go this week, Josh, without asking you about California and their their idea in 2023 about name, image, mm-hmm. and likeness. You know, so many people, I saw a tweet by Darren Ravel this morning, Herschel Walker's weighed in, Tim Tebow's weighed in. This is the death of amateurism, the death of the NCAA, so much more cheating. 
why do, why do we have to go there? My, my feeling on this is why can't if if you are good enough, uh, which you were, Josh, why can't if, if you can make net you make money off of your last name? Why can't it be put in a fund that you can access when you exhaust your eligibility? Right. And there's some sort of bonus uh, for, for actually graduating. I mean, what, why is, why is that so far fetched, uh, for people to wrap their minds around? Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not real sure why that hasn't really been something that they feel like they could solve. I mean, I, I, I do feel like the players should get something now, maybe a bigger stipend or, you know, of course I was a player. I saw a lot of guys that, um, you know, I went back to school after playing professional baseball, so I was in a much different situation than most. But I, I've seen a lot of players struggle to, you know, even go eat McDonald's, and that sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've got a one quick story. After my brother played at SC, and um, they were in the Rose Bowl, and they were playing Michigan, and in a big, big game, two, you know, two top five, ten teams playing, and. Uh, there was a wide receiver that was on my brother's team uh, that played in the NFL, but his name was Dwayne Jarrett. He was a stud college football player at USC and an All-American. 6'5", could do it all. He had 211 yards in the, that game against Michigan, and J.D. and him were co-MVPs of the game. Well, they had to stay after uh, the game and, and for the lengthy press conference and different things. Well, the school had already taken the kids back to – USC and those that had had to be there late, like my brother and and I think Pete Carroll and uh, some of the offensive staff, Sarkeesian, I think, and Kiffin and Dwayne Jarrett, they were all there and and uh, everybody had made arrangements to get to get home after the game from Pasadena back to downtown LA to USC, uh, South mm-hmm. Downtown LA, which is thirty miles away. And and uh, what's funny is we all got in the van, JD got done, my family and everything. We're leaving the stadium. I'll make it short, but we're driving away from the Rose Bowl Stadium and we're a mile or two down the road and we see this big black tall silhouette guy, you know, walking. And we're like, who is that? Like, he looked like a player. And then we got uh-huh. close to it and it was Dwayne Jarrett with his backpack walking and hitchhiking. What hitchhiking and he had just won the MVP in front of a hundred thousand people and he's hitchhiking back to USC and we opened up the side door of the van and go DJ what are you doing man he goes man I don't have a ride back to USC so I was just going to try to walk down this road and hitch something back to where I could get back close to downtown (laughs) and uh, so we it just it just threw us for a loop right so we're like get in the van you know you're riding with us but we didn't know no he didn't tell nobody. They hadn't made arrangements for him, and he just won the MVP of the biggest game on New Year's Day, you know. And so, it, it th- those are the types of things that do happen. And so, I see, you know, Orgeron came out with something in his presser this week uh, during the Utah State press conference because that's who they play this weekend. And Orgeron said, "I feel like players should get paid," and it's crazy because you know there's such a there's such a fine line, but there's people that sit on the fence, and there's people that go one way or the other. I feel like they should get something. I like what you said, put something in a, in like a pension fund to where they could draw, you know, 10 grand out once they're done for, for contributing to the university or something, because they can't work. You can't, you can't even imagine how tough it was playing quarterback at a D one school at that magnitude, because 
uh, you can, but most people can't because, right. you know, it starts at 6 a.m. and it doesn't end till 10 at night. And it's watching film, going to class, meeting with the offensive coordinator, meeting with the receiver coach, meeting with the running backs. I mean, there's just so much that goes on. It's like you're already in the NFL at that magnitude. And so, you know, there's a lot of players that have to go through that same type of situation on on every campus every week. And, um, you know, there's just no room for a job. So that's why I say, you know, it's, it's a tough it's a it's a tough one to talk about because there's so many different things and people come from different situations. Yeah, they do. And it's something certainly that will be talked about. We have a couple of years, uh, 2020 <laughs> next year. We have a couple of years to uh, for the NCAA to make a yeah. uh, maybe make a move, a chess move in response to to what California has done. But listen, I, I think there's a middle ground. That's all mm-hmm. I'm going to say, Josh. That's I don't want to take away amateurism. You, you played at both the professional level and the collegiate level. I, I don't want to take away the magic. No. The history, the Correct. pageantry, all of those, the amateurism of college football. But I think there's somewhere we can land in the middle where where we take care of everybody, if that if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm I'm 100 percent with you. I think there's something in the middle, probably towards the end of not getting paid that much, <laughs> to, to be quite yeah. honest. I mean, I think that. You know, there's certain players that like like RG3 or Johnny Manziel or Tim Tebow that have brought so much to their university. But those guys are so few and far between. Right. I mean, those are those are guys that are going to cash in at the next level. So and with with marketing deals and sponsorship deals, as soon as their last game's over, you know, so, I mean, you have those types of of unbelievable situations and then you've got everybody else. Right. So, I mean, you got to look at the the ninety nine point nine percent of the players that you know, aren't going to make any money in the game, you know, and that's what's so amazing is you people line up to watch these guys play on Saturdays and they they fill stadiums, you know, 80,000, 90,000, 100,000 sometimes. And and so these guys are worth something, but, you know, you can't pay them. You can't pay them a ton of money because they're so it, it's still an amateur sport. Like you said, you cannot take away from the pageantry of college football. <laughs> He's Josh Booty. I'm Rachel Barbeau. Believe podcast. We're so very just honored and humbled and excited to be a part of this great family uh, of podcasts, the number one podcast destination for professionals. We'll be back next week. Make sure you drop a comment, you hit share. And listen, I, I feel like I say this every week, but it's ramping up. We're like, we're week five. Like, what, what, what? I can't what? believe it. I can't believe it. Of course. We get Utah State this week at home. They have a potential mm-hmm. first round quarterback, but we got too many athletes on the field at one time. And Glenn said it best earlier in the podcast. Uh, he believes in his in our offense. I think Joe Burrow, Brady, Ensminger, Orgeron, the receiving group, the offensive line, the running backs were all in sync. We believe too much in the offense. We will roll on Saturday. Josh Booty, Rachel Barba will be back next week. Have a wonderful week leading up to college football, baby. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.